This program is presented by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Hello, I'm Sarah Gregory, and today I'm talking with Dr. Megan Hermans, an assistant professor of microbiology and immunology at the University of South Alabama. We'll be discussing infection and transmission of Heartland virus in ticks in a lab. Welcome, Dr. Hermans. Well, thank you. I'm happy to be here to chat with you. Let's start off with you telling us what Heartland virus is. Sure. Uh, Heartland virus is an emerging virus that's transmitted by ticks. Uh, this virus is found in North America, originally in Missouri, and because that's part of the heartland of the country, that's where its name is derived. But technically, heartland virus is related to other types of viruses known as bondaviruses, which are also transmitted by ticks. When was it first discovered? This was back in 2009. Heartland virus was isolated from two men in northwestern Missouri. These individuals were admitted to a hospital with a febrile disease. And ultimately, both of these individuals recalled being bitten by ticks about five to seven days before their illness began. And then while they were hospitalized, these two people had blood samples taken and virus was ultimately isolated from those blood samples. And then they characterized the virus and named it Heartland virus. How many people in the United States have been infected with it that we know of? Well, we estimate that it's over 50. Um, there are over 50 documented cases of Heartland virus as of last year in 2001. And these cases have been identified in people living in several Midwestern and Southern states. So it's still relatively rare then, right? It is. Yes, this is a rare, pretty emerging, but rare tick-borne virus. Can we expect an increase in the future? That's something that we're, we're certainly tracking. And I think with increased surveillance, and we'll talk some about that, I'd love to chat about that today, but increased tick surveillance in the field, as well as increased patient or physician awareness of this disease will probably result in increased cases in years to come. Okay. So what are the signs and symptoms? There aren't too many cases described in the literature for Heartland virus, but of those Heartland virus cases that are described, we see that these people infected with Heartland virus usually have fever. They also have thrombocytopenia, which is a low blood platelet count, and the platelets are what help clot. Uh, individuals tend to have leukopenia, which is a low white blood cell count, and then they often display fatigue. And then some of the other side effects can range from anything like headache to reduced appetite, nausea, diarrhea, muscle pains, and then pain in the joint as well. And usually, but not always, individuals will recall having a tick bite within about two weeks of the onset of their illness. And what's interesting and also tricky is that the symptoms of Heartland virus disease are similar to those of other tick-borne diseases, such as ehrlichiosis and anaplasmosis. So when we have patients that are being treated for ehrlichiosis, for instance, who don't respond quickly to a treatment with an antibiotic like doxycycline, Heartland virus disease should be considered in those patients. And another challenge is that we don't have commercially available tests for Heartland virus. Okay, so some of those symptoms sound pretty serious. Is it fatal? Can it be fatal? It can be. So Heartland virus causes a serious febrile illness, and most of the reported cases have involved hospitalization of patients. And that's usually because the patients need IV fluids or they need treatment for fever or pain or other related problems. 
And then there have been some fatalities in Heartland virus patients, and those are usually related to uh, situations where the patient has comorbidities or is older in age. And comorbidity is um, having another physical complication like diabetes or something already, right? Exactly, yep. What is this invasive Asian tick you mentioned in your study? Yeah, this is um, was the focus of our study. This is the invasive Asian longhorn tick, um, which is the common name for the tick species Haemophysalis longicornis, which is quite a mouthful. Uh, this Asian longhorn tick gets its common name from these little spurs dorsally on its mouth parts. And these are the distinguishing feature uh, that allow us to distinguish the invasive Asian longhorn tick from native Haemophysalis species of ticks in North America. Because this Asian longhorn tick, as the name would suggest, is native to Eastern Asia. And it wasn't until 2017 that this tick was first detected in the United States outside of a port of entry. And then since then, we've seen established populations of the Asian longhorn tick documented in 17 different states. And these are along the East Coast and then some Northeastern, Southern, and Midwestern states as well. It's tricky because this Asian longhorn tick has a wide host range, and it's known to be able to adapt to a range of climates. And both of these factors, we expect, will contribute to the longhorn tick's geographic range expansion in North America in the coming years. And the additional complicating factor is that all of the Asian longhorn tick populations that we've detected in the United States to date reproduce by parthenogenesis or asexual reproduction. So that's where a single engorged female tick can complete her life cycle and she can reproduce without mating, so without fertilization. And this is concerning. This form of reproduction in the tick is concerning because it can contribute to these really dense tick populations that can establish pretty rapidly in new locations. And that's what we're seeing happen in the United States. Sounds like something from a horror movie. (laughs) Uh, How is the the Asian one different than than the indigenous one that's already in the United States or was already in the United States? Yeah, that's that's a good point. Um, This Asian longhorn tick, like we talked about, it's not native to the U.S., but to Eastern Asia. But we do have two native tick species that are relative hemophysalis species of ticks uh, in the United States. One of these is Haemophysalis leporis palustris, but we'll just call it the rabbit tick. And then another species is Haemophysalis cordelius, or the bird tick. And these are different because neither of these two native Haemophysalis tick species are known to cause any human disease. They're not known to transmit any pathogens that cause disease in humans. Oh, okay. So how is this invasive tick getting a virus from the middle of the United States? So at this time, there aren't any reports of field-collected Asian longhorn ticks being infected with Heartland virus. But this is because studies that screen these Asian longhorn ticks collected from the field, uh, screening those ticks for pathogens, are still ramping up. And so there's a lot more work to be done with those field-collected longhorn ticks. Of the few studies that have screened the field-collected Asian longhorn ticks for pathogens, Uh, Most of these have focused on testing the ticks for tick-borne bacteria and parasites. And an example of that would be the Lyme disease bacteria. 
Um, but these studies haven't screened the Asian longhorn ticks collected in the field for viruses. So the purpose of our study was to test whether this invasive Asian longhorn tick species is even capable of maintaining and transmitting heartland virus within a very controlled setting of a laboratory. I see. All right. So there's actually not cases of it on the street yet, but potentially, like, how dangerous is it? Is it more or less serious than than any of the others? Yeah, the, the invasive Asian longhorn tick is a public health threat, while those two other native longhorn tick species that I mentioned above, um, they're not public health threats. But the invasive species, the Asian longhorn tick, is known to transmit several pathogens that cause human disease in its native region in Asia. So namely, the Asian longhorn tick is the main transmission vector. This is a mouthful. It's the main transmission vector of severe fever with thrombocytopenia syndrome virus, which is also known as dobby bondivirus. And this virus was isolated in China the same year that Heartland virus was detected in the United States in 2009. And what's interesting is that SFTSV or Dobby bondivirus and Heartland virus are genetically very closely related. And SFTSV has caused thousands of cases in China, disease cases in China and other parts of Asia. And it causes a very similar disease to Heartland virus, with the added risk that SFTSV can be transmitted human to human by contact with infected blood. And that's in addition to its natural transmission by the Asian longhorn tick. So we do see these links here. And that's why we consider, yes, this invasive populations of uh, Asian longhorn ticks now established in North America are a public health threat. That's actually terrifying um, because any other tick-borne virus is just from tick to the person. But you're saying that these could, so human to human, once a person has it, if there's blood share for some reason, then somebody, another person can get it from that person, right? That's what you just said? Yes, that's correct. And that's been shown for SFTSV virus in Asia in hospital settings, healthcare settings. And we haven't seen that form of human-to-human via blood transmission happening with Heartland virus in North America, but they are very similar viruses. They're closely related. Just uh, stepping back from the transmission for a second, you said it started these, um, it became apparent in port cities, this tick. How does that happen? Are they carried on animals, on people? I mean, how do the ticks get here in the first place? Yeah, typically, so what we have uh, we expect happened with these Asian longhorn ticks that first appeared at ports of entry, so in, within quarantine in the past decade, um, those were typically seen on imported livestock. Um, a lot of those types of animals are the preferred host for the adult life stage of the longhorn tick. And then more recently, in 2017, that was the first time where we had documented Asian longhorn ticks outside of a port of entry um, and just established on a sheep farm in New Jersey. And from there, uh, you can see the spreading populations from that point. Okay, back to your study now. You infected ticks in a lab. How did you do that? Yeah, that's a, that's a fun concept to talk about. We, we infected adult female Asian longhorn ticks with Heartland virus 
by injecting a specific amount of heartland virus through the tick's anal pore. So we used very fine glass needles to do this because regular needles, even insulin syringe type needles, would still be too big uh, and would damage or kill the tick if we tried using regular needles. So we injected our ticks with these fine glass micropipette needles and we injected heartland virus into the tick's anal pore. And what this does is it allows us to deliver virus directly to the tick's digestive tract. And when you think about how ticks acquire virus in nature, this happens when a tick feeds on a vertebrate host and then virus is ingested by that feeding tick. And the first organ system that the virus would contact inside the tick is the digestive system. So all of that's really to say that although the anal pore microinjections are not how ticks would become infected with virus in nature, uh, this lab approach uh, allowed us to deliver heartland virus to a biologically relevant organ system of the tick. And by doing this type of microinjection of heartland virus through the tick's anal pore, we also are able to deliver a very specific controlled amount of virus to each tick in our study. So we wanted to deliver equal amounts of virus to every tick. And again, in, in nature, this is something that's not really possible to generate ticks infected with equal amounts of virus when those ticks are infected naturally by feeding on vertebrate hosts. So there were some advantages to doing this form of infection in our laboratory study. This is absolutely fascinating. I understand about the microneedle, the glass microneedle, um, but I mean, it still seems amazing. So how did you essentially physically do it? I mean, it seems so difficult. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we have to have a steady hand first, but the ticks are turned upside down. So they're stuck to a piece of tape on their back and then their anal pore, which is kind of on the stomach, the ventral side of the tick is accessible to us and they, they wave their legs around. They're stuck to a piece of tape and then we, under a microscope, uh, very steadily and carefully inject that fine glass needle into the pore of the tick. So it's one of those procedures you tend to want to cut yourself off of caffeine beforehand so you don't have jittery hands. I, I think that's amazing. There's no way that I could possibly do that caffeinated or not. <laughs> have you figured, how did you figure this out? Um, has this kind of thing been done before? I mean, the process of infecting the tick. <laughs> yeah, it has. Um, and that was really helpful for us. This method of infecting ticks by the anal pore microinjection has been performed by several research groups and specifically groups that infected ticks with virus have done this in recent years in Japan and China. This is actually how some of the um, researchers in China showed that the Asian longhorn tick is capable of transmitting that virus that's closely related to heartland virus, the SFTSV virus, and they used this same method. So it's been published on and we had very accessible um, methodology to pull from the literature that helped us do this ourselves. I have to ask, was there a test, I mean, <laughs> that you were capable of having that study at hand? <laughs> a lot of practice. We did this, um, some trial runs ahead of time with just ticks being injected with media. And so we could understand if we were causing damage to the ticks. We didn't want to see a lot of die off. And with practice, we got, you know, pretty good at it. 
to the point where we didn't see any die-off from our ticks that were injected with media, like the control ticks or the ticks injected with virus. So practice did make perfect in that case. (laughs) Well, well done. Um, Your study showed transovarial transmission to ticks. Tell us about transovarial transmission. Sure. Um, Transovarial transmission means through the ovum or egg. So specifically, transovarial transmission is where a pathogen or a germ is transmitted from a parent to its offspring by infection of the developing egg. So this is a form, transovarial transmission is a form of vertical transmission where we're tracking pathogen or germ presence in the, in this case, in the female adult tick, and then screening whether that is passed to the tick's progeny, the eggs and larvae. Okay, so how does this relate to the ticks that you studied? In our study, we tested whether the adult Asian longhorn tick females that we micro-injected with Heartland virus were capable of passing Heartland virus to their offspring. So that would be the resulting tick eggs and larvae. So in order for a tick to lay eggs, the female tick must uh, first feed for several days in a row on a vertebrate host. So we took some of our adult female ticks that were micro-injected with Heartland virus and About a month after micro-injection, we fed them on mice, allowed the fed female ticks to lay eggs, and then we tested the eggs for Heartland virus. We also allowed some of the tick eggs to hatch to larvae, and then we tested the larvae for Heartland virus as well. Okay, so overall, what did you find from this experiment, um, the whole thing? Yeah, overall, we showed that the adult female Asian longhorn tick was capable of maintaining viral RNA, and that's that's the genetic material of the virus, and the adult female tick that was micro-injected with virus was capable of maintaining infectious Heartland virus in their bodies for over four weeks after micro-injection. And then when we fed these micro-injected female ticks on mice, and we only put one tick on each mouse, a one-to-one ratio, we showed that four out of the five mice, the 80% of the mice seroconverted, And by that, by seroconversion, I mean that the mice displayed antibodies that are specific to Heartland virus after they'd been exposed to the Heartland virus-injected ticks. So this seroconversion suggests that the Asian longhorn tick is capable of transmitting Heartland virus to vertebrate hosts in a form of transmission known as horizontal transmission. Our data clearly shows that the Heartland virus-injected ticks that fed on mice ultimately laid eggs that were positive for the genetic material of the virus, the Heartland virus RNA. And then when we allowed some of those eggs to hatch to larvae, we also showed that the larvae were positive for the viral RNA as well as infectious Heartland virus. So this was very clearly demonstrating the transovarial transmission from the micro-injected adult female to her progeny. Okay, let's let's help the listeners and me understand this. Um, so you, no Asian ticks, longhorn ticks, have shown to have Heartland virus yet, but you did infect these lab ones. So do you think this can be replicated in a real-life infection? That's a really good question, and I have to start that by saying that's a yes and no type answer, and I'll explain why. Um, Our laboratory model shows that the Asian longhorn ticks can transmit Heartland virus transovarially, and this occurred with a very high efficiency. 
In other words, we showed in our study that 100% of the microinjected fed female ticks passed heartland virus to their eggs and larvae. So given the correct environmental conditions for these natural populations of Asian longhorn ticks in the United States, the physiological ability of the Asian longhorn ticks to transovarially transmit heartland virus should translate to nature. Uh, That's because the ticks we used in our study were the same strain of the parthenogenetic ticks found in nature in the United States. Uh, What's unlikely to translate to real-life tick infections is this high rate of transovarial transmission of heartland virus that we detected in our laboratory tick samples. And that goes back to the method of how we infected our ticks. We used that artificial method of anal pore microinjection in the ticks, which was reproducible and it was highly effective at generating those uniformly infected adult female ticks. It also resulted in 100% of our virus-injected females being positive for heartland virus. But I have to point out that's not usually the situation in nature. Every tick in a natural population is not going to be positive for virus. And from field surveillance studies that have been conducted in several states, uh, we, we see that heartland virus infection rates of the Lone Star tick, which is currently a native It's the known uh, vector species of heartland virus in North America. It's a native tick species to North America. And these field surveillance studies have shown that heartland virus infection rates in that lone star tick species are quite low. And this is similar for the related virus, SFTSV virus, in Asia, where we see very low infection rates in ticks in Asia. So the point is that the transovarial transmission rate of heartland virus is expected to be much lower in nature than what we see in our laboratory-controlled experiment. And this is largely because of the expected infection rate of the adult female Asian longhorn ticks would be much, much lower in nature. So going back to your question, yes, the Asian longhorn ticks appear to be capable of transovarial transmission of heartland virus, so it could occur in nature given the right conditions. But no, our lab infection rates would not be replicated in nature. Would infection from the Asian virus commingle with the U.S. virus creating a super strain, or would they always remain a different strain? So it's possible, but for this to happen, the Asian virus, what we've been referring to as the SFTSV virus, and then its North American relative heartland virus, both of these viruses would need to circulate in the same geographic region where they could infect the same species of hosts. And there is certainly the possibility of SFTSV, the Asian virus-infected longhorn ticks, being imported into North America. So that's why increased levels of field surveillance that test Asian longhorn ticks for heartland virus and SFTSV would be very important going forward. So back to your question, if these viruses commingle, could they create a super strain? And the answer to that is yes, it could occur. And the concept is known as reassortment. Uh, Heartland virus and SFTSV, the Asian virus relative, these are very closely related thick-borne bondaviruses. And these are viruses that are single-strand RNA viruses, and they have genomes that are segmented. And so what that really boils down to is that if two related Bondaviruses like heartland virus 
and SFTSV, the Asian virus. If these two related viruses infect the same susceptible host cell at the same time, their genome segments could reassort and then they could result in progeny viruses that could contain genome segments derived from both of the parent bond of viruses. And we see this happening with other types of viruses like influenza as an example of reassortment. It's a possibility for this group of viruses that are tick-borne as well. What does all this mean, everything you discovered? What does this mean for future cases? Do you, do you think there'll be more or this will increase? It's emerging, so we're kind of at the beginning, but what are your thoughts? Yeah, if, if such a reassortment event were to occur, we don't know whether or not this would result in more human cases. And that's because we don't know whether the resulting reassortant virus strain would have what we call altered phenotypic traits. An example of that would be uh, the reassortant virus strain could include uh, different genome segments that may be more efficiently transmitted by the Asian longhorn tick, or the reassortant virus could be a phenotype that's not as efficiently transmitted by the Asian longhorn tick, and then in that situation, fewer human cases. So it's something we just don't know yet, but there are ways to study that going forward, certainly. Are there ways to stop this, um, to interrupt this process? Yeah, I'm glad you asked because with all of these uh, tick-borne diseases, and Heartland virus disease is one of them, prevention of the tick bite is very important for avoiding infection. And that's what we, we really have to highlight is preventing tick bite, uh, that individuals know where they're going to expect ticks. And in the case of the Asian longhorn tick, people need to be aware of the ticks in tall grassy areas, meadows, shrubby-type vegetation, and tall pasture and then it's important that people treat their clothing and gear with products. The CDC recommends products like 0.5% permethrin. And especially during your outdoor activity, going with this idea of tick prevention, it's important to do these simple tasks like tucking your pant legs into socks, wearing closed-toed shoes and light-colored clothing. The light-colored clothing lets you see with good contrast any ticks that may be on you. You want to conduct these very frequent tick checks during activity outdoors. Try to walk in the middle of a trail so you can avoid leaf litter and high grass. And then, of course, use repellents that would be uh, EPA-approved ones would include repellents like DEET, picaridin, oil of lemon eucalyptus, for example. And once you're done with all of your outdoor activity, it's very important that individuals check yourself for ticks. You need to shower, examine your gear and pets, and pay special attention to areas like your ears and hairline, under arms, between your legs, back of knees and ankles. So a very thorough tick check is necessary, but that is the best way to stop transmission of tick-borne diseases is to be very cautious of any ticks and preventing tick bites on yourself. Makes you kind of just not want to go outside. Um, <laughs> you mentioned doxycycline. I know that's what's used for Lyme disease. Or, uh, is there any treatment for this? Unfortunately, no. So many tick-borne diseases that people often think of, like Lyme disease or Rocky Mountain spotted fever, uh, those diseases are caused by bacteria transmitted by ticks. So in those cases, antibiotics can be used to treat those types of tick-borne diseases. 
but since we've been talking about Heartland virus, uh, this virus is not treatable by antibiotics. The antibiotics aren't effective. So there aren't any specific medications to prevent or treat Heartland virus disease. And when people get infected with Heartland virus, some patients may need hospitalization so they can receive supportive care. And that can be administered in the form of fluids, IV fluids, uh, medications for fever, pain, and problems along those lines. And I guess there's no vaccine. That's, that's correct. Yeah, there's no vaccine for Heartland virus. And like we talked about a couple minutes ago, it's just best way to avoid contracting this disease is to prevent tick bites in the first place. And why did you do this study? We conducted this study so that we could gain insight into whether this invasive Asian longhorn tick species poses a public health threat for transmitting a North American tick-borne virus, specifically Heartland virus. Were there any surprises? Well, having worked with tick-borne viruses for a number of years um, and having conducted many other studies where we've modeled transmission of virus from tick to host, transmission of virus from host to tick, and then within the tick body, nothing really surprises you anymore. But this was our group's first study that used the anal pore microinjection method that we talked about earlier. And we were very pleased to find out how reproducible this procedure was for delivering specific quantities of virus to each of the ticks in our study. And then, you know, as I talked with you earlier, it, it just wasn't an easy procedure. So though that didn't come as a surprise to us, you know, doing those microinjections on live ticks while dealing with some of the challenges of the BSL-3 the Biosafety Level 3 laboratory containment in an arthropod facility. They weren't surprising to us, but they were challenges that we we had to deal with. Were there any other challenges beyond those? Well, this BSL-3, the Biosafety Level 3 research with infected ticks, requires you to account for every tick because these are uh, infectious, uh, this is infectious material. So this includes all of the ticks that we feed on an animal in the biosafety level three facility. So we can't just let the ticks feed wherever they want to on the body of the mouse and then drop off after they're done feeding. We have to use these tick feeding capsules that we glue to the backs of mice and those capsules contain the ticks on a very specific part of the mouse's back. And like I mentioned uh, in this study, we just put an individual, a single adult female tick on each mouse. So it was very nice one-to-one ratio for accounting purposes. But as you can probably imagine, screening tick progeny from the Heartland virus injected said female ticks, this has some challenges. For instance, when we're counting out potentially infectious tick larvae in the biosafety level three facility, we have to use additional uh, protocols and containment procedures so that we make sure um, all of those tick larvae are accounted for. Good heavens. And they're teeny tiny, right? <laughs> they are. Yeah, they're they're quite small. We use um, a lot of light-colored material. It's a facility that's designed specifically for infectious work with arthropods. And arthropods is a catch-all for ticks as well as insects like fleas and mosquitoes. We do all of that type of work in our arthropod BSL-3 facility. What do you think are the kinds of um, future studies needed? Yeah, for future studies, we really need to investigate whether the Asian longhorn tick can acquire Heartland virus when they co-feed in close proximity on the same host animal with ticks that are already infected with Heartland virus. 
This is uh, a concept known as co-feeding transmission, and it's been shown to occur for several other types of tick-borne viruses. We need to know if the Asian longhorn ticks can acquire and transmit heartland virus when they co-feed on the same host with other Asian longhorn ticks. And we also need to see if Asian longhorn ticks can acquire and transmit heartland virus when they co-feed on the same host with ticks that are native to North America. An example of those ticks would be the lone star tick, the Amblyoma americanum. So that would be an example of interspecies co-feeding transmission. And in that type of scenario, Asian longhorn ticks could increase heartland virus infection rates in the lone star tick populations, which could in turn increase the risk of human infection because the lone star tick really likes to feed on humans. It's a very aggressive feeder towards humans. So overall, future studies um, are underway and then we, we need others to conduct these as well with you know different questions in mind where we're investigating whether co-feeding transmission occurs in relation to Asian longhorn ticks transmitting North American viruses. We also will need to confirm the presence of infectious virus in the saliva of adult ticks that we micro-inject with heartland virus. And if we can detect infectious heartland virus in the tick saliva, that would allow us to rule out the possibility that the mice in our study seroconverted or generated those antibodies specific to heartland virus just because they were exposed to high levels of non-infectious or you could call it dead virus during the Asian longhorn tick feeding. So that's why screening virus from the tick saliva and confirming that it's infectious would be an important future study as well. Are any of these studies on your plate? Are you in the process of setting them up? Yes. Yeah, they they are underway. We are um, actively working on these co-feeding transmission studies where we're co-feeding Asian longhorn ticks on the same animal as other Asian longhorn ticks, where some are infected and others are not. And then we have, uh, we'll be setting up soon, um, next month, we'll be looking at interfeeding um, or co-feeding transmission between different species, so interspecies co-feeding transmission. So that's where we're ramping up our other tick species, the numbers of lone star ticks that we can co-feed uh, with infected longhorn ticks. So it's all underway and stay tuned. <laughs> okay. Well, um, hopefully EID will get them and maybe we'll get to do another podcast. What's the main public health lesson from your study? Um, our data show that the Asian longhorn tick is capable of transovarily transmitting heartland virus to its progeny. And since reports of all of the Asian longhorn tick populations collected in the field in the United States have been limited to uh, the ticks that have reproduction by parthenogenesis and not bisexual ticks. This means that a single female tick can lay hundreds of eggs without mating. So the evidence that this invasive tick species can transmit heartland virus in the transovarial mode without the need for a mate, this is worrisome. It highlights the need for continued Asian longhorn tick surveillance, and this includes testing the field-collected ticks for tick-borne viruses, including heartland virus, as well as other viruses like Powassan virus and Bourbon virus. Tell us about your job. Um, it's a pretty, I think, unique niche, and uh, how did you get into it? How did you get interested in it? What led you to it? Yeah, of course. 
Um, I've, I've been interested in vector-borne diseases as far back as high school, um, <laughs> doing field surveillance projects for uh, mosquito species in the greater Houston area, um, going that far back. But, you know, through my graduate studies uh, at University of Texas Medical Branch and just really diving into the field of tick-borne virus transmission, um, I ultimately landed here in the position that I'm in now where I'm continuing that type of work. My current research program is investigating tick-virus host interactions and ultimately we seek to discover where there are biological weak links and transmission cycles that we can target for novel tick-borne disease control strategies. And in, in my current position, this, this involves training and mentoring graduate students. Our team includes undergraduate student researchers and research technologists as well. I'm just, I'm lucky uh, to be able to work with this amazing group of colleagues, the other trainees and faculty in the Department of Microbiology and Immunology. Uh, these people are very brilliant and hardworking, but we also have that unique environment where we're able to have fun together as well. And specific to my job, I get to perform a variety of activities. You know, no two days are the same for me. And I love that. Um, in addition to assisting with lab experiments and mentoring and training researchers, I get to spend time in my office uh, writing papers and grants. I serve on committees within the university and overall contribute to graduate student education through a variety of activities. So it's a, it's a fun place uh, to be at this point in, in my career. I'm just fortunate to be um, in this group of individuals. Tell us a little bit about your private life. You live in Alabama. Um, what do you do there in your leisure time? Yeah, Alabama. So I'm, I'm in Mobile, Alabama, and this is a beautiful old port city. Didn't realize till I moved here um, how old it really is. So I've enjoyed learning about culture and history of this city. Um, I guess one example of that is that Mardi Gras actually originates in Mobile, so not in New Orleans. We are very proud to claim that Mardi Gras is <laughs> originally from Mobile. And so there's a huge culture for that here. And much of the city of Mobile participates in one way or another every year during Mardi Gras. And even my house is a little piece of history since it's turn of the century. And I guess, you know, as you'd expect with an old house comes both the charm and then the projects, too. So that keeps me busy. Uh, it's fun. And, um, you know, we're just positioned, uh, this city is positioned along the coast. So Alabama and the northwest Florida have beautiful beaches, and they're not far. Um, some of them are under an hour away. So I've really enjoyed exploring uh, that part of the Gulf as well. I'm originally from Houston, Texas, but uh, this is a different part of the country, and it's been a great place to to work and live. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today, Dr. Hermans. Thank you so much for the invitation, Sarah. I really enjoyed chatting with you about these topics. And thanks for joining us out there. You can read the March 2022 article, Transovarial Transmission of Heartland Virus by Invasive Asian Longhorned Ticks Under Laboratory Conditions online at cdc.gov EID. I'm Sarah Gregory for Emerging Infectious Diseases. For the most accurate health information, visit cdc.gov or call 1-800-CDC-INFO.